The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation He provides for all who submit to Him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. We're getting pretty close to the end of our overview of the story of the New Testament and the message that that story tells. We've been looking for the past several weeks at, okay, how does Galatians fit into the story of Acts and how Acts follows up the story of Jesus and how does that story of Jesus inform the writings of, say, Philippians and what about all the travels that Paul was taking and what else was going on in Jerusalem, all the stuff that sometimes can be a little hectic and kind of hard to, to hold together and figure out what exactly is going on. We've been trying to piece that together so that we have a better understanding of the overarching story and the overarching message that can then help us better appreciate the particular teachings whenever you open up Colossians or Philemon or Galatians or whatever book of the Bible you may be reading in the writings of Jesus' apostles. We've come to, uh, well really we've come off the map of the book of Acts. A lot of our discussions so far have been, okay, here's what happened in the beginning of the book of Acts, here's how this relates to the book of James, or here's Paul traveling and he's in Corinth, and here's how the writings in Corinth. We're off the map uh, in the book of Acts. The book of Acts concludes with Paul in prison and sort of a dot, dot, dot at the end of it. Uh, His life hadn't ended, and certainly the kingdom hadn't ended, and even his work of writing hadn't ended, and other writings in the New Testament were still being produced. Uh, Some people call the section at the end of the New Testament the general epistles, distinguishing it from the Pauline epistles. Uh, The only bad thing I think about that is it almost makes it sound like, yeah, 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 we got like the important ones, Paul's, Romans, and all the way. And then, you know, there's some other general epistles. These are such great, vital, life-transforming pieces of literature that God has given us to help us understand our life in the world as followers of Jesus. And so I want us to think about this a little bit as far as what uh, what's going on. We don't know precisely when Hebrews, the writings of Peter, the writings of John, the book of Jude, uh, James even, although it seems like, as we talked about previously, that James was probably one of, if not the very earliest, of the letters that were written. But the point is, we don't really know exactly when all these are written. But let's assume, for argument's sake, that they were written near the end of the production of the New Testament. In other words, they came after the book of Acts, maybe. It is clear whenever you read through all these letters that as time went on, whether the book of Jude was written during the history of Acts or if it was written after, or whether Hebrews was written during or after, whatever you want to say about the exact timing, it is clear that these letters indicate that as time went on with the Jesus followers interacting with the people of the world. It got tougher and tougher all the time. I mean, it was tough pretty much from the jump, honestly. It was never easy breezy, but it also never got easier. Sometimes things start out hard, and then you do it long enough, and you're like, all right, cool, we got it, and no problem. We can move on. It's going to be pretty nice from here on out. That's not the way it was for the early church, and that's... I don't know if comforting is the right word, but I'm going to say it. That's a little comforting for us because it's not always easy for us. The the letters at the end of the New Testament really highlight just how much of a challenge uh, the early Christians faced. I want to read a few passages here. 
Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter, but Jude chapter 1, verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, so he says, I wanted to write to you about salvation and maybe how great it is. I don't know what all he wanted to say about it, but that's what I wanted to write. He said, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for their, this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into indecent behavior and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. That's pretty dark. I mean, Jude is saying, I, you guys, you got to fight for the faith because we've got this opposition. People coming in and not just being sort of benign about this either. I mean, they're, they're denying Jesus and they're practicing all kinds of bad stuff. There's a similar statement in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. Peter says, know this first of all. Funny thing to say, by the way, because he's at the very end of his letter. But he says, first of all, maybe the idea being, keep this in the forefront of your mind. It's of first importance. 2 Peter 3 verse 3. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and they'll say, where is the promise of his coming? The promise of the resurrection. Frankly, the promise of the story of Jesus, the promise this whole thing's pointing toward. People are going to say, are you kidding me? No, we don't believe in that. And not only will they disagree with it, they'll mock it. They'll say that it's foolishness. In 1 Peter chapter 4, back it up a little further, 1 Peter chapter 4, um, Peter spoke about how there were people not only who are going to be doing bad things, or those who that will mock those who follow Jesus and do his things. But in 1 Peter 4 and verse 12, Peter speaks to his audience and says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. That sounds pretty bad. Among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though something strange were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that the revelation of his glory you may also be rejoiced you may also rejoice and be overjoyed. What kind of sufferings are we talking about? Well, verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Well, those people suffer usually by being punished. Maybe they get fired from their jobs. Maybe they get arrested. Maybe they get beat up. We wouldn't want to suffer like that anyways, Peter. I mean, we're not doing that stuff. We don't want to suffer that way. But Peter says, well, but you know, you may suffer that way because verse 16, he says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. Do you hear what Peter's saying? You're going to have a fiery ordeal. People uh, may insult you for following Jesus. More than that, they may actually sort of punish you for following Jesus. It was not easy to be a Christian in the early church. And it never got easier. And to this day, it hasn't become an easy thing. And how do you think that would feel? All your cousins, your neighbors, co-workers, friends, they'd look at you as strange. Uh, frankly, maybe even kind of problematic socially because of your views about religion or how families are supposed to conduct themselves or 
um, you know, what, what, what kind of character integrity you should maintain on the job and therefore exposing them for their disagreement with you or their worldly beliefs or whatever. There's a lot of reasons why people wouldn't have appreciated Christians. They wouldn't have agreed with them. They would have mocked their beliefs and do mock our beliefs. Why they would have insulted them and insult us and even punish them. And yeah, even today, will, Christians will be punished in some way, shape, or form when they're really following after Jesus. Uh, and it may not always be in the big dramatic ways that we think of, but it would be in the little ways. Uh, think about it especially for Jewish Christians. The book of Hebrews was written to address Jewish Christians who had become faithful to Jesus and therefore had left behind worshiping at the temple, offering sacrifices, animal sacrifices, um, going to the high priest for forgiveness or even for guidance. Um all those sort of keeping Sabbath and all the holidays that maybe they would have kept before. They may have kept them, but they may not have. They may have left those things behind because they realized, hey, this was just a shadow. It's not it's not really doesn't really mean much of anything now because of Jesus. But then you're living there in Jerusalem, and all your friends say, Hey, uh, we're going up to temple. Are you coming with us? And you say, No, I, I don't I don't do that anymore because I'm a Jesus follower now. I don't I don't worship at the temple. I worship with my family of believers. They say, oh, well, but how do you offer your sacrifices to get rid of your sins? You say, well, I mean, Jesus is my sacrifice. They say, are you kidding me? Human sacrifice? No, God wouldn't have done that. And they say, well, well, who gets you close to God? I mean, we have the priest, the high priest we go to talk to, and he, he draws us close to God, and he facilitates the sacrifices, and he oversees the work in the temple. What about you? And you say, well, Jesus is my high priest. And that's where they'd either laugh or cry at how pathetic. You could think that someone who is killed on a cross, someone who is branded as a, as a troublesome blasphemer, how could you say that he's the one getting you close to God? There'd be a real strong temptation whenever you're hearing this rejection and having to fight all the time for your faith and be in mystery. It'd be so hard, and eventually it'd be... Pretty tempting to just say, you know what? Let me just go back. And by the way, we just talked about the Jewish side. It'd be the same thing for people who didn't grow up with Jewish heritage. Whatever your heritage would be, you could in, fill in the blanks. And by the way, we could fill in the blanks for us even today on all the things from the past before we were with Jesus that everybody would say, why aren't you? Why don't you? Come on back over. And we have to say, no. That gets tiring eventually, doesn't it? That's why the, the book of Hebrews was written specifically to address this temptation to just drift, to, to give up, to say, ah, it's too hard, it's too taxing. Uh, here's what the one of the many passages in the book of Hebrews where the Hebrew writer addresses this and really exhorts strongly, hey, you've got to keep the faith, guys. I know you've been doing this a long time, but you've got to hold to the faith. And really this whole period of uh, the history of the early church and of the story of the New Testament is really, this is the message. When you read First and Second Peter, when you read the book of Jude, when you read the book of Hebrews and some of the other writings, we're not going to address the writings of John uh, this week. But when you look at what Peter said, what Jude said, and what the Hebrew writer said, it really could be summed up in a passage like this, Hebrews 2, verse 1. He says, for this reason, for the reason being that we have such a great salvation in Jesus, even though we're opposed and people question us and all that, he says, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift away from it. You know, most of the, reason, most of the times that people leave Jesus, 
It's not a conscious decision. I don't like this anymore. I'm leaving. But it's a gradual drift. All those little conversations, all those little burdens, all those little hardships make you kind of just drift a little bit and drift and drift. The Hebrew writer continues, he said, For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, that would be the the message before Jesus, and every violation and act of disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You hear how strong of a warning he's saying? He's saying, hey, people before Jesus, you know, back in the Old Testament, they were punished if they disobeyed God. Man, if you give up on the salvation that God's giving you through Jesus, how much worse do you think it's going to be for us? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us who heard. We know this is real. God also was testifying with them by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. The Hebrew writer is saying, are you kidding me? God has invested so much to prove to you that the Jesus way is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And this whole story, the whole gospel story and the work of, of the apostles, all of it has been to confirm this that God's trying desperately to keep us close to him. So don't give up on that. Don't turn away from that. Later on in the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, there's kind of a parallel section. Listen to what he says in Hebrews 10 and verse 32. Hebrews 10, 32. He says, But remember the former days, when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle. Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 4, that you're going to suffer as a Christian with that name. The Hebrew writer says there's this public spectacle um, through insults and distress and partly by becoming companions with those who suffer. In other words, you guys cared for each other. When somebody was being persecuted, you didn't abandon each other. You stood up for each other. You stood with each other. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better and lasting possession. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Note, in the beginning of the book of Hebrews, it says, don't drift. Here it says, don't throw it away. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but the righteous one will live by faith. But if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith for the safekeeping of the soul. The Hebrew writer says, we're not going to give up, y'all. We're going to hold firm. We're going to hold the line. We're going to stick with Jesus. We're not going to drift away. We're not going to throw our confidence away. We're going to stay with him. That's the appeal. I mean, actually, that's remember in the book of Jude, that was the first line. I'm writing that you may contend earnestly for the faith. Don't give up on this. One of the things I love about these letters and this part of the story of the New Testament is there is this strong exhortation, don't give up on the faith. But what is it that we're having faith in? The way the Hebrew writer would say it is this, in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1, in all of his argumentation about don't give up on the faith, and it's really interesting, some of it's pretty complex and rich with Old Testament allusions and all that. But he says, this is what he says, Hebrews 8, 1, he says, now the main point of what we have been saying is this. We have a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. You might say, that's a weird main point. Of all the things you're writing, you're telling me the main thing you want me to get is that Jesus is the high priest sitting at the right hand of God. Why is that your main point? Because that's the main point of all this deal that we're doing, y'all. The high priest was the one who would 
tell people about God and help people understand God. In other words, bring God to people. He also is the one who would um, you know, minister to those who were sinners. He would, he would tell people what sacrifices they needed to make so that they could get close to God. So the high priest also brought people to God. He bridged the gap between humanity and the Creator. Jesus is the bridge. Jesus is the high priest. And the reason why all these writings uh, are put together here at the end of the New Testament, why they were produced and sent out to all the Christians, and they're preserved by God for us even down to this time today that we can read them, is because if we lose Jesus, if we drift away, if we don't contend earnestly for the faith, if the sufferings of being with Christ, if the mocking of the message of the gospel makes us give up, then we've lost everything. We've lost our connection to God. We've lost our hope. We've lost the whole deal. This is why Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, he says, For to this you have been called, since Jesus also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you would follow in his steps. He's at the bridge. He's the high priest who connects us to God, and he's the one who modeled for us the path to bring us to God, to help us see this is how we're going to get there. So keep on going. Don't give up. Because if you give up on Jesus as the model for how to live, then you're giving up on life itself. You're giving up on life with God. You're giving up on all the good things. And ultimately, you're giving up on yourself. In Peter's second letter, he begins and ends the letter with the reason why the faith matters. At the beginning of the letter, he says it this way. He said, the, the story we've told you about Jesus, we the apostles in particular being, uh, the story we've told you about Jesus and the way that we've shown you to live is so that you can become what you were always meant to be. The way he describes it in the first paragraph of Second Peter 1 is that you may become partakers of the divine nature. And by the way, that's what all human beings want to do. We make up fantasy stories about it and superhero stories and legends and mythologies of all human cultures are about these human beings who are exactly what we envision that we want to be ourselves. Sometimes we're not quite sure what that means, but we know there's something out there. There's some divine nature. There's something better than what we are, and it's something that we want to attain to. Peter says, hey, hold on to the high priest Jesus. Keep following after the example in whose footsteps you're supposed to follow. And yeah, I know it's suffering, and I know it's hard, and I know people mock you for it, but don't let go of it. Don't give up on it, because he's the one who will make you into what you've always known or always thought that you ought to be. You might say, okay, that's fine, but what then? Well, here's the way Peter describes it in 2 Peter chapter 3. For those of us who trust in Jesus and remain faithful to him and don't give up on the faith and contend earnestly for it every day within our own hearts and we don't, the mockings and the insults and all the suffering of following after Jesus, we say, hey, it doesn't matter. We're not going to give up on it. The end result is this, in 2 Peter chapter 3, and uh, beginning in verse 8, nah, verse 10. He says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth with its works will be um, discovered or undone, some translations say. The idea being the end is coming, guys. And since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Or we might say, bearing the image of Christ, partaking in His divine nature, following in His footsteps, letting Him bring us back to God. 
And along the way, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, the elements will melt with intense heat. But, according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The reason why these writings were sent out and the reason why God's preserved them now is to remind us of the end of the story. God reshaping us to be like Him so that we can be with Him in His home, in the new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. And whatever struggles may come to us along the way, whenever we get there, it'll all be worth it. And we'll be glad that we remained faithful all the way to the end, that we stood firm in the true grace of God, that we kept growing in the grace of God, that we didn't let go of our confidence or throw it away or drift away, that we contended earnestly for the faith. It'll all be worth it because we'll be home. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.